Today, we're starting in 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 1 to 5. If you want to turn your Bibles on, turn it up, and uh, we're going to go there now. Paul's writing to the church of Corinth. He says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of their severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even more beyond their own ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to the church of Corinth, he's writing to the Corinthians, and he's telling them about a church in Macedonia. And that church that he's talking about is the church of the Philippians. So there's another book in the New Testament by the same name, Philippians. It's the same crew, same group of people. And the Philippian church, the best known church in Macedonia, was under the pump. Historians say it was likely that three major factors were bearing down on the Philippian church. First, was there been a massive earthquake that had dis- disrupted the economics in the region. Second, persecution had broken out by Rome against the church. And third, the Roman taxation had increased on both the smeltering down of copper and iron, as well as the possession that they'd taken of the gold and silver mines. So, so Rome were tightening the screws on that community um, and that society in Macedonia. So the church stands as this kind of beacon of hope under the pressure of persecution and economic strain and natural disasters. And Paul writes, in the midst of a very severe trial, which is that, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty wells up in rich generosity. You see, giving is not based on your body's location, but on your heart's location. See, so often we we calculate our financial giving based on where we're at in life. There's nothing wrong with that. It's wise to ask questions like, have I the budget? What's our financial forecast look like? Am I prepared for future expenses that are coming up? That's smart. I would totally encourage that. The Church of Philippi, they did that. They looked at their body's location, and then they responded by where they wanted their heart to be. Financial giving leads our heart to where we want it to be. New Testament giving is not based on your body's location, but on your heart's location. Is your heart with Christ? Is your heart with God? Is your heart with the church? You see, Philippi was a Gentile city. The the church was made made up largely of Gentile believers, men and women who had left their Gentile lives, so that that a Gentile was someone that wasn't a Jew, um, and they'd left these these lives and these ways to be part of this new thing that God was doing. They had been saved. They were overwhelmed by this, that God would forgive them of their sin, would save them, and would call them to something greater. So their lives orientated now on that something greater. Which may have sounded something like this, if you were to listen to them talk. They may have said something like, how do we ensure the whole city, in fact, the whole world, hears of the incredible gift of grace we have been given by Jesus? That's what Paul was referring to when he said, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty wells up in a rich generosity. They had received joy from God because he would saved them. The joy of their salvation, as Paul puts it later on, it it spills over, it wells out, it explodes out of them in the form of generosity. You see, generosity flows out of the joy we have in Christ. 
The New Testament teaches us that if you're not generous, then your joy tanks are low. Have you done a joy inventory lately? I don't mean how happy you are, or even how content you are, or even how peaceful you are. I mean how joyful are you that you've been saved by Christ? The strangest thing keeps happening to me, and I've got used to it now, but for a little while it kind of caught me off guard, it was a bit weird. But I would find myself, and it happens frequently, I find myself welling up emotionally, like in tears, which I would encourage in others, but when it comes to me it feels a bit strange, right? I find myself welling up in tears when I sing the words to some of the songs that we have that resonates with the longing of my soul, which proclaims the salvation I found in Jesus. When that happens, I, I, I feel kind of moved out of whatever circumstance I'm facing and brought before God on my knees. That's been the result of what God has been gradually doing in my life over and over and over again. It's not something that used to happen. And, and I imagine it's going to happen more and more. But it's the work of God constantly in my lives. So, in my life. So, so how are your joy tanks? Do they need to be filled? Do you need to adopt a posture where God can fill them? The joy tanks of the Philippians were full to the brim, full to overflowing, despite their circumstances. See, we've received something so priceless, they would say, so, so priceless from God, and there's so much to go around, we have to share it. And Paul goes on, For I testify that they gave as much, the Philippians, they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their own ability, as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Who thinks that sounds just a little bit contradictory, right? How can you... How, how can you give as much as you're able and then even beyond your own ability? That means you're going into debt, right? That's not, that's not good, is it? Well, they were, but not how you might think. You see, as much as they were able is talking about the surplus they had to give. Let's say it costs you $10,000 a month to live, and your income is $12,000 a month. The surplus is 2000 right? Simple maths. So giving as much as they were able to give is giving that extra 2000 but the Philippian church didn't look at it just this way. Giving beyond their ability was dipping into the 10000 a month it cost you to live. So they gave their surplus, and then they gave out of what they needed to live on. Which means two things, right? That they needed to change how they live. And, secondly, they were in debt to God. They chose to live in such a way that meant to survive, God needed to show up. Their giving to God, not their wealth, determine their faith. Giving is a response to grace. It's an indicator of grace received. They were saying, we are going to put ourselves out financially in the same space we were in spiritually when we were saved so that God has to save us again. Right? He'll do it again because he loves us. So we're going to create a financial deprivation in our lives, because we know when there's a spiritual deprivation, God saves us. So when there's a financial deprivation, God's going to save us again. But that which we give can help what God wants to do. See, Paul goes on to use this weird phrase. He says that they gave entirely on their own. Like they're a grown-up church now. 
well done. You can give entirely on your own. It's like what we say to kids, right? When when they come to us and they say, do we really want this? Um, Hamish the other day saw a reindeer, uh, like a life-size reindeer in Big W. He says, can I have it? I said, it's like a hundred bucks. He goes, oh, I can afford that. I said, no, you can't. So we did the next best thing, right? I encouraged him to ride it. That was quite entertaining. Um, but he can't be responsible for these big decisions that he makes. He has no idea about them. He, he can't make these decisions entirely on their own. Um, so, so we can think that way about the Philippian church. So it really wasn't that mature to be able to make this decision. But that's not what it means. When it says entirely on its own, um, the Greek word there is the word for spontaneity. So they gave spontaneously. And this is important, right? Because the cultural fad at the time was to give in order to look good. So you'd be generous so that everyone could see that you were generous. So you'd actually get a status bump. And with that, you'd get more cash flow. Your life would become better as you gave away. Spontaneous speaks to the fact that what they did wasn't calculated or measured or reported or publicised against social gain. It wasn't done to further anything else except the gospel. They just did it out of a sense that God was doing something in them. See, great giving comes out of a sense that God is doing something greater in us. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us. Urgently pleaded with us? What is wrong with them? For the privilege of sharing in this service of the Lord's people. That particular Lord's people were the Christians in Jerusalem. And the Jerusalem, a Jerusalem church, was a total mess at the time. Or, as Paul eloquently puts it, they were in poverty. And how this happened is absolutely fascinating. In fact, there are two things going on. The first is that Jerusalem was in a severe famine. So the city and its surrounds were feeling the brunt of an agricultural economy that was being starved. This was one factor, but the other is truly fascinating. And there's maybe a hundred sermons in this other one, but I'll try and keep it just to the headlines. As the church in Jerusalem grew in numbers, the number of Jewish Christians, so people who were converted from Judaism to Christianity, um, uh, became um, as had a sense of elitism around them that they had the law that they had all that God had promised and then they had the fullness of Christ so they started to see themselves better than the Gentile believers so Gentiles people outside of the Jewish religion who would become Christians and what happened was the the Jews clung to their um, eating laws that they didn't need to cling to because they were Christians, but they clung to the Jewish laws, and that's they determined who you ate with, or more importantly, who you didn't eat with, and you didn't eat with Gentiles. And so this this the Christian, the Jewish Christians in the church began to say they weren't going to eat with the Gentiles. Now, what makes this a real problem is that their church service was a meal that they shared with each other. So the Jewish sect of the church began driving out the Gentile sect of the church. And as a result, all giving came to a complete standstill. And if the Jerusalem church crumbled, all the other churches risk crumbling. Now Paul had gone toe-to-toe, head-to-head, face-to-face with the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And he created, in classic Paul style, a Mexican standoff where no one was going to win. So he leaves, and he has this revelation. 
If he can stir the Gentile churches that he's planted into giving generously to the predominantly Jewish church in Jerusalem, then their hearts will be humbled and broken by grace and renewal will take place. Which is why in Romans, at the end of Romans, in chapter 15, verse 31, Paul says, when he's writing to Rome, he says, Pray that I might be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and the contribution I take to Jerusalem, so the offering I'm taking from the church of Philippi and other churches, Gentile churches, to the Jewish church that I take to Jerusalem may be favourably received by the Lord's people there. So the offering that the Gentile churches were going to give was to unite the church around a single focus, rather than their division. And that single focus was to enable the gospel to extend to those who hadn't heard the good news yet which is the way the New Testament approaches giving. Giving to the church results in the gospel being extended to those who haven't heard the good news yet. And not only did the Philippians suggest it, or drop it in conversation, or pray about it, or say they should do it, these bunch of weirdos begged for the opportunity to give. I want to be that kind of weirdo, right? And they begged because they heard of this conflict, and their hearts broke. See, so important is the church to the world that when it isn't at its best, our hearts should break and our minds be put to the task of making it so. They longed to see it fixed and wanted to help. A generous heart takes the initiative to search for opportunities to give. So I was speaking with my church planning coach, his name's Tim, this week, about a variety of things. And during that conversation, he relayed an interesting story. He just got back from the United States, where he met with his brother and sister to relocate their mum and dad from the family home. They were downsizing it. And so Tim lives over here, and his brothers and sisters live in the States, and so they've been doing the brunt of the work. And so Tim wanted to take them out to a nice restaurant. So he went and found one. And they arrived, it was a little bit more upper class than he anticipated. They received their menus, and at the bottom of the menu, it had in small print, separate from all the other texts, it said, Printworks, which was the name of the place, is a 100% employee-owner business. Now, according to CEO, Dennis Quaintance, co-founder Mike Weaver, Nancy and he, like to think long-term, not just months or years, but decades ahead. He says, we've sold our interest in the business because we believe that it's the optimal way for us to be owned and managed in the future. The co-founders decided to sell their shares in the company to the employees so that everyone had equal ownership. That's the church, right? Christ sold his shares to every disciple so that we'd each care as much as he does about the church and therefore the world. Which got me thinking, that's village, right? Village will only be as good as we can all make it. Village will only ever be as welcoming as we each are. Village will only ever be as red hot in its faith as we are red hot. Village will only be as ever generous in what it has as we are. Village is 100% people owned. And coming on team is how you embrace and you live out that 100%. See, just like the Philippians understood the church, they were 100% owners of what went down, not just in Philippi and Macedonia, but in Jerusalem. 
they were more as concerned with what was happening in Jerusalem as what was happening in Philippi. We, just like the church at Philippi, have been blessed with such a wonderful thing in village. But it's not yet stepping into the fullness of what God has for us. And that fullness is embraced through each of us owning what God is doing in Burley. Not as spectators, but as part owners. Paul concludes this part of his letter. He says this. He says, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. It's like Paul is basking in the revelation that this small, struggling church in Philippi has become a beacon of the gospel. They finally get it. They're living it. It's spilling out of them and everyone is benefiting. That's the church I want to belong to. That's the church God is ushering village to become. A church that connects Burley with Jesus. I know that's the church you want to be. But then Paul wraps up the whole thing with this beautiful phrase. He says, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. You see, when you give yourself first to God, there's then enough for you to give to others. When you give yourself first to God, there's enough. Sorry, when you give yourself to others first, then there's not enough to give to God. It's a paradox of faith, but when the Philippians understood, they embraced. One that we might also begin to understand as we embrace it. Now today, there's a letter for each of you. Everyone that's connected with Village. And your name is on it. If it's not, then there's, there's still a letter for you. So everyone that's on team, everyone that's connected to Village, just come along, there's, there's a letter for you. And it outlines in details the challenges before us. And how we might respond to that challenge. And we wanted to give that to you now, and start a conversation that we then bring to conclusion after Christmas in late January. You see, we wanted to give you too much to pray about this, to think about this, to talk about this. We have the opportunity to live what the Philippians lived, to know God in an even more wonderful way, to trust God in an even more wonderful way. And as you think, and you pray over the next two months about where God is leading you, lean into this principle. When you give yourself first to God, there's then enough for you to give to others. When you give to others first, then there's not enough for you to give to God. So I want you to explore it. Give it a test drive. Ask God to enable it to become more of your life. And you'll find if you do, you'll have a richness of God to give out of rather than your own riches to part with. The sentence structure of what Paul uses is, is also telling in another way. Paul uses the same structure and words he did when he wrote to the Galatian church about what Jesus did for them. In Galatians 1.4, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Paul is saying that this act of giving and generosity the Philippians are engaging with, it's synonymous with what God has done for us all. In giving, they're expanding God's gift of salvation to more people. It's, it's the same with us. When we look at what we give each week to God's work in village, when we look at what extra we might give to achieve the things we feel God is calling us forward on, we are expanding God's gift of salvation to more people as we experience it again ourselves. And perhaps today, you need that gift of salvation. 
You need to be saved from something. You need the joy of your salvation restored. And that is a work that Christ wants to do in you. Let's pray.